There's a statement that I picked up in high school, and I don't know who to give credit for, to for the statement, but it was one that I locked in on early on in life, and I've memorized it, and it's one of those that I just pull it back up every now and then and ask, is this true of Mike? Is this true of me? Am I describing myself? Because I hope the answer to that question is no. But here's just a statement. You can write them down if you want. We are not what we are. We are not what we think we are. We are what we think other people think we are. We are not, we are not what we are. We are not what we think we are. We are what we think other people think we are. So much of our life is built on building a persona, on building an image, an ego, a resume of who we are and what we've accomplished in life. And sometimes we will sacrifice character. We will sacrifice integrity. We will sacrifice our families. We will, do, we will sacrifice relationships so that we can have the persona and the image that we want to have. So therefore, we no longer are who we really are. We are not even what we think we are. We are so focused on what other people think we are. I think a calling for us today as we look at the essentials of life is that we will go past all of that image and ego stuff and we will really look at the core of who we are and we'll come clean. We'll come clean. We've talked about breathing. We've talked about um, so many different essentials of our life that we need. One of those essentials is we need water. Water is that element that we need in our life to come clean, to wash the dirt and the grime off. The water is that element in our life, that essential ingredient of our life that will enable us to wipe away what other people are seeing and therefore making up who we are to whom we really are, to really become who God wants us to become. The thing is, is that that will require a change in our life. Max Dupree said it like this. He says, we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. We cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. See, the challenge today is, is to become and not simply be. We've talked in this series of messages that it's not about the mechanics of life and doing the right mechanics in your spiritual life, and then you will be spiritually formed and be in the image of Christ. It's about being. It's about, it's about who you really are at your core, and it's about an organic relationship and less a mechanical relationship. But I want to take it a step further. It's not just about being. It's about becoming. It's about who I am, yes, but who is God wanting me to become? And Dupree advocates that you can't become whom God wants you to become and remain who you are. One of the, uh, I guess, most noted uh, uh, managers when I was growing up was a guy by the name of Earl Weaver. He was a manager for the Baltimore Oreos. Or Orioles, I can never say that right. It's not the cookie, it's the bird, okay? And so uh, he was a manager for them, and he always had this little feisty spirit about him. Uh, he was always the one that was yelling and kicking and cussing and, and, and getting thrown out of games. He was that, that high energy, and, and I mean, the vulgarities that could flow from his mouth would be, 
would be, you know, too, too, too daring to even begin to, to try to, to emulate today. But the umpires would hate going and, and umping one of his games because of the way that he was. And as he was uh, doing all that he would do, he would be in the dugout, which the dugout was never very far from home plate. And the, the, the umpire would always know the very first statement. It may be the first inning, the second inning, but it would always be the first statement that Weaver would throw out at the umpire. It would be something like this. Are you going to get any better, or is this as good as it gets? And that just started the game for Weaver. Are you going to get any better, or is this as good as it gets? And then you could just count on it. Another inning, he'd be out there in the umpire's face. He'd be yelling obscenities and all that kind of stuff. It, it, is, are you going to get any better, or is this as good as it gets? And I think that's a question we've got to ask ourselves today. Are you going to get any better? Am I going to get any better? Or is this as good as it gets? Is there going to be something beyond what I am right now? Because I think the essentials that we've got to understand is that God may take you as you are, but He won't leave you there. God may take you warts and all, but He wants to change you. He wants to make you different, better, brighter. He wants to bring you back to His original design. And am I willing to come clean of who I am so that I can become who God wants me to become? Am I willing to get clean and become clean? And and again, I've said this every Sunday in this series, this is a getting off the bus point for a lot of people because they're really happy and content in where they are and they're happy with the systems of their Christianity. But they have missed the system or the relationship with Christ. Their system is they've got it all figured out. They've got their compartments. They've got their, the way they've, they've, they've sorted out their faith. They've justified their, the way that they live. or they, they, They've now lost that convicting tug of God. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's been a long time since you've had that convicting tug of God, then you might be the one that needs to hear this message. Because I know that I am a work in progress. And a lot of work still yet to be done. And if I have lost that convicting tug of God, if I have justified it so much in my life, if I am pleased with my own faith because the way I look around, I'm as good as anybody else, and that's the standard of which I'm operating then this is as good as it's going to get. And the way this happens is when we move past being a poser to really coming clean. And that requires a discipline, a spiritual discipline. Each one of these messages has dealt with one or two or or three spiritual disciplines that needs to be in our life. But one spiritual discipline that is less mechanical and far more organic, that is by far an absolute discipline that needs to be in our life, is the discipline of confession. The ability to look at myself and see myself for who I really am, the ability to to be able to keenly listen to and hear that tugging voice of God to say, you know what, this isn't right in your life. This needs to change. And the humility to say you're right and I'm wrong and I'm sorry. See, the first step in this process, coming out of confession, is that first step 
to living an authentic and transparent Christian life. It was uh, Robert uh, Richard Foster who said this, Discipline of confession brings an end to pretense. We pretend we are one thing. But confession is that ability to move past being a pretender, a poser, to truly being who you are. It's the first step on the pathway to authentic, transparent Christianity. The second step that comes out of the first step is that once I am authentic and transparent, then I am able to move to a whole and real and righteous, if I can use the biblical term, a whole and real and righteous self. But as long as I'm a poser and as long as I'm fake and as long as I've got my religious titles, then I can never truly be or become who God wants me to become. Augustine of Hippo said it like this, Confession is the, of evil works is the first beginning of good works. Let me ask you the question, when was the last time you had a good old-fashioned confessional in your life? And I'm not saying you do it right before you go to bed, God forgive me of all my sins as if it's some kind of a liquid paper on your life. That God's just going to kind of come in and white out all of the mistakes. God, just forgive me. And then you go back and you do the same thing tomorrow. God, forgive me. I'm not talking about an old-fashioned confessional like that. I'm talking about the brokenness. I'm talking about the feeling of emptiness, the poverty of spirit that Jesus speaks of in the Sermon on the Mount. When I realize who I am or who I'm pretending to be is not what God wants me. David is a great example of this. If you be finding the book of Psalms, it should be about the middle of your Bible in the Old Testament. Psalms chapter 32. There's really actually two Psalms that we'll, we'll look at today, but we'll spend the greatest lion's share of our time in chapter 32. Because 51, Psalm 51 is also a Psalm of David. Psalm 32 is a Psalm of David. Psalm 51 is whenever he's actually going through his prayer of confession. And we'll pick that apart a little bit. But I'm more or less going past that, and we're going, uh, you know, months, maybe weeks, maybe I don't know how long past Psalm 51. We're actually going to Psalm 32 and focusing there, where it's some time, some day past his time of really coming clean. He had to come clean. We know, first of all, David was a man after God's own heart. And it was a beautiful story of, of him being just a great warrior for God and him being used of God, being anointed as a king as just a, as just a young kid, having far more courage than Saul had, who was the king. It was a beautiful story un- unpacking there in his life. But I want, you, I want you to see this because we don't have time to develop it. But I just want to make one simple statement. And I've said it before. We men especially, but all of us in this room, are one decision away from stupid. We're just one decision away. It doesn't take long. David could be a man after God's own heart and be climbing high and and selling, you know, and all that kind of stuff and doing great things for God. And all of a sudden, he's up on the balcony of his, uh, uh, excuse me, on the roof of his house, and he's looking down, and he sees some eye candy. He sees Bathsheba bathing. And that eye candy goes a little bit further that he wants to kind of take in the eye candy. He wants to consume a little bit of it. 
He thought it was going to be a one-night stand. Because Uriah wasn't around. Uriah was being what a good soldier would be. Uriah's at, at war, so, you know, Bathsheba's lonely. So there's, a, there's an alibi, there's an excuse, there's an open door, there's a window of opportunity that's presenting David. And so now he has opportunity to, to, to step in to, to, to a situation that is going to end up changing his life. And again, I don't have near the time to go into the whole story of unpacking it. I know a lot of you all know it. I want to skip a lot of it to the very end. But as you know, for a year, at least a year, David tries everything in his power, and he was the king, to hide, to cover, to mask, to destroy, and to kill. His stupidity that we call sin. The Bible calls sin. I call it simply stupidity. He does this hiding act, this dodging act, this covering up act, this how can I how can I get by with this? And yes, it was a dumb decision, but how can I justify it? All this works that he works on. And when Bathsheba starts showing up, it turns from a one night stand into a lifetime of consequences that he will have to deal with. And the thing is, before we can come too hard down on David, we need to look a little closer at ourselves. Because I'm afraid some of us are, some of us might end up similar to David because, oh, he said, I haven't committed adultery. But I think many of us have been in those emotional, visual experiences that we allow our mind to go where they ought not, where it ought not go. And we allow our mind to take us in our dreams, in our thoughts, in our fantasies, in an unhealthy way. Matthew 7, 27, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to verse 30, you can read that in your own time, talks about that, and how even the look is the same as adultery. Some of us would say, I never killed anybody like, like David killed Uriah. I would never do that. No, 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 I would never do that. Well, you just need to, in your own time, read Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26, because David, excuse me, Jesus talks about if we have been angry. You know that spit fire angry at somebody? That consumes our life anger? That when you see this person, your blood rises, your blood pressure rises? When you think about this person, you get into these arguments with this person, this person even in the room. And you dialogue and you tell them how the, you know, this is that and all this. And you, we're spitfire mad. You know, he compares that, Jesus compares that to murder. And our anger and our bitterness consume us. So I think we need to look at our lives a little closer today. A little bit more involved today. Because I'm afraid some of us may have dirty hands and dirty hearts, myself included. And we need to have a fighter mentality when it comes to this. Because stupidity or sin will absolutely suck us in and control us. I think what Billy Sunday said was so well in an old evangelist kind of way. He said, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and toothless and footless and, or toothless, I'll gum it till I, I go home to glory and it goes home to hell. Now that's fighting sin. 
That's being willing to get in there and call it what it is and say, I don't want you in my life. I want you out of my life. I'm not going to cover you over with religious jargon. I'm not going to whitewash you with some kind of liquid paper prayer that says, God, forgive me for all my, all my iniquities, but I'm going to name it. And I'm going to get it out of my life. Because sin is this. Sin is a life, is living a life by your own rules without regard to God's rules. So whose rules are you living by? Sin is lawlessness, it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Simple, clear definition. It's a life without guardrails. It's a life without parameters. It's a life without fences. It's a life of doing it your own way. And our challenge today, if we are going to understand the essentials, is we need to understand the power of confession in our own lives. There's two things you can do with sin. It's pretty simple. There's just two options. We're going to deal with that as we finish today. And that is, number one, we can conceal it. Number two, we can confess it. That's it. You can conceal it or you can confess it. You can deal with it or you can hide it. You can cover it up or whatever. David tries the concealing route first. Let's learn from David. David in, in, in uh, Psalm 32, if you'll be finding it there, in Psalm 32, you'll find where he's coming out of this experience. He's coming out of this, this time. But I want us to understand that sometimes what David does and what David did is something that we do quite often. We want to shift blame. We want to whitewash it. We want to hide it. We want to kill it. We want to alibi it. We want to come in with our own excuses. Listen, you can do all this all day long. Ananias and Sapphira were posers in their giving. God dealt with it. Moses killed a Hebrew, excuse me, killed an Egyptian and buried him in the sand. You can try to bury your sins all day long. You can try to bury your attitude all day long and not confess it and not deal with it. You can try to bury your, your hardened heart all day long and not deal with it. But it doesn't mean it's, it's gone. It's still there. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, hiding wrong doesn't erase wrong. It only postpones its discovery. It's only postponing it. It's only postponing the inevitable God said through Jeremiah 16, verse 17, He says, For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. We can try to conceal it, but God is really good at hide and seek. And He wins 100% of the time. And what we do whenever we, whenever, and listen, the reality is, is, let's just all face it. We all are stupid at times. We all sin at times. If you can't deal with that, if you can't man up to that, then we've got some more talking to do. But if you can at least man up to the fact that we all slip into this, we all stumble into this, we all loom into this, we all run sometimes into it. And that if we don't know how to get it out of our life and how to deal with it out of our life, then what we do is we pack it away. We alibi it. We excuse it. We justify it. We blame it on somebody else. And we, we, but, but, but all we try to do is what, what Moses did is bury it in the sand and maybe nobody will ever see it. Concealing it sickens your core. It will absolutely rob you in your life. 
Here's a couple of things that will happen to you. Real quickly, jot them down. There's a physical toll that it takes on your life. When you conceal your sin, it will, it will affect your core. It will make, it's like taking toxins into your life. Now, who would take toxins willingly and knowingly into their life? Again, unless you know how to deal with this shortcoming, this fault of ours, unless I know how to deal with it, then many times what we do is we try to hide it. And what we do, when we hide it, we are taking toxins into our life. Instead of taking it out, presenting it, humbling ourselves, dealing with it, and getting it out of our life. We take it in, we hide it, we try to conceal it, we try to do all these things that David tries to do, that Moses tries to do, that Ananias and Sapphira try to do, that I try to do myself. So I've got to learn that if I do that, I'm taking toxins in and it will begin to affect my life. Physically, it will affect me. It affected David's eyes. In Psalm 51, verse 3, it says that my sin is ever before me. You know, wherever David was, he could see what he had done. Have you ever, have you ever been stupid? And then when you're stupid, you just think about it all the time. When you go to bed at night, you close your eyes, you see it all over again like a movie screen. You go to the movie theaters to try to block it out of your mind. Get into a dark room, watch somebody else's life on the screen, maybe yours, and all through the movie you're seeing it ever before your eyes. Every time somebody comes in, you think, is that somebody going to reveal what I've been trying to hide? Every time there's a knock on the door, every time there's an email, every time there's going to be photos, there's going to be a story in the newspaper. It's ever before you. You can't get away from it. It physically has its toll on you. The message paraphrases this phrase in Psalm 51 verse 3. It says, my sins are staring me down. They're constantly before me. They're constantly looking at me. It affected his mind also. He says, you desire truth in the inmost being. Psalm 51, verse 6. You desire truth in the inmost being. See, at that point, David was not full of truth. He was full of lies. He was full of justifications. He was full of hiding. He was full of deception. He was full of being a poser. He was full of all these other hypocrisies in his life. And he was not real and genuine. And he says, God, you want truth in me. You want integrity in me. When we hide it and conceal it, there's no truth in us. It affected his bones. He says, let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Psalm 51, verse 8. My bones are hurting. My limbs are hurting. My joints are hurting. There have, you've heard the, the, the phrase psychosomatic. There's actually a new word. It's a psychophysical, physiological illness now. And they're saying, doctors are saying that there are times whenever our soul is sick that it begins to actually affect our body. We call it psychosomatic or psychophysical diseases and illnesses that our bodies go through. Somebody has once said that the soul and the, and the body are so close together they tend to catch each other's diseases. I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's amazing how when we live with unconfessed, unrepentant of sin in our life, how it will affect our physical being. Our bones may hurt. Our life hurts. You can't see anything but your sin. There's shallowness. There's hollowness whenever we live 
with this. It physically affects us. It also spiritually has a toll on us. David, his heart was affected. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. He spiritually was affected. His, his heart was dirty and he said, God, I need a clean heart. His heart was stained. His joy was gone. He said, make me to hear joy and gladness. You know, a cranky old person or a cranky young person, a person who's always angry with life and never sees joy and gladness, that person may be racked with sin and they're concealing it like a toxin in their life. I don't believe during this year of running and hiding that David did a whole lot of hymn writing. I believe there was dust gathering on his heart. I don't believe David was singing a joyful noise to the Lord. His heart was affected. His joy was affected. His spirit was affected. He said, renew a steadfast spirit within me in Psalm 51 verse 10. Deep down inside, his spiritual life, his physical life was being affected because toxins were in his life and he wasn't confessing them. He was concealing them. The problem is that sin will always take you further than you want to go, teach you more than you want to know, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay. Some people have said, I, I don't know what I need to confess. You know, I, you know, this kind of self-righteousness about them. You know, I don't know what I need to confess. I heard one guy say that to this lady who was saying, I don't know what I need to confess. And the pastor just said, well, just get on your knees and start naming some things. And you know what? Start guessing. And she guessed right the first time. You know, I don't think if we got real honest with ourselves that it would take very long for some of these things that we've been concealing and concealing and concealing and concealing to really come to the surface and let us be able to deal with them honestly. Instead, we hide them. We bury them in the sand. Here's a verse for you, Proverbs 28:13. Would you read it out loud with me? People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Brings me to the second option of dealing with our stupidities of life. And that is confession frees us to live life again. We can live again. When we live a confessional kind of life, when we're able to get free from guilt... Oh, my lands, one of the greatest crippling emotions that we go through in life is guilt. Some people won't come to church because they feel guilty. Some people won't get around you because they feel guilty. Some people can't live. They've lost their joy because they feel guilty. Listen, it is not my intent. It's nowhere near my intent to heap guilt or blame or shame on anybody. In fact, what I want to do is I want to help you get free from the guilt. And confession is that road, is that step, is that way along the path to authenticity. Authenticity is that way to the real, whole, righteous you that God wants you to be. But it starts with confession. It sets you free so that you can truly, truly live in your life. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 32. Psalm 32 says... For day, uh, yeah, verse 4, uh, excuse me, down, down to verse 5. He says, 
I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. If you have your Bibles, just underscore the word guilt. If I can be released from the guilt, from the burden, from the constant awareness. And I didn't read verse 3 and 4 to you earlier, but I should have because it's in those verses where David talks about keeping silent about his sin and his body literally wasting away. He says, but when I acknowledged, when I confessed, when I brought it to the surface and quit hiding it below the surface, I was able to find freedom from the guilt. Take your little, uh, if you didn't use it already, your little soft white Germ X singles or Perel or whatever you have. Some people have already used theirs, I know. That's okay. You'll be forgiven. Because that's what this message is about, right? But if you, you know, you walk in the door, and one of the things when you walk in the door, you start shaking hands in our culture. And, um, and you know, one of the fastest ways I learned in science class in, in junior high, fastest way to pass germs is through a handshake. Not necessarily through airborne. It's through a handshake. You, you shake hands, you don't wash your hands, and you take your hand and you put it near your mouth or you scratch your eyes or your ears, and all of a sudden you're sick too. The great thing about this little Germex stuff, and we take it everywhere we go, it kills, it says ruling bold red on, on mine, I don't know which one you have, it says kills 99.99% of the germs. Now that's a lot of germs. Now I guarantee you a lawyer wrote that because... That gives them one-tenth of one percent to be wrong. All right? Because they can say, well, that's the, that's, that's the germ that it doesn't kill. So you got sick and you, all that kind of stuff. That's the germ it didn't kill. Well, so this is, give, gives you somewhat of an assurance. So go ahead and wash your hands. Okay? I've even seen these at the hospital where they're like full body baths. Okay? You can take a full body bath with one of these things. Now, can you smell it? Do your hands feel clean? Smell clean. Isn't that great? Now you can go and shake somebody else's hand and get them dirty again. You know, every day in our life, we're shaking hands, we're touching things, we're doing things that get our lives a little dirty. And we don't need something that's going to get rid of 99.99999% of the germ and filth of our life. You know what? I want 100%. I want to be clean. I want to be absolutely clean. Real quickly, here's some verses, and I'm running out of time. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 51, verse 2. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our sins from us. You know, you can go north, 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 and eventually you'll start going south. But you can go east, 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 and you'll never end up going west. He will throw our sins as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. Our sins will be gone. First John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Psalm chapter 32, verse 1 and 2, our, our focus verse today. Listen to the words of verse 1 and 2. How blessed, how happy, how complete, how full, how right is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. He's clean. He's blessed. He's happy. He's whole. Confession is the first step to authenticity and transparency. Transparency is the first step to what did I say? Wholeness, completeness, righteousness in our life. Here's a life principle for you. When we cover our sin, God uncovers it. But when we uncover our sin, God covers it. Isn't that a beautiful dichotomy? That God doesn't leave us with it when we put it on the table. But when we hide it in the sand like Moses did, he'll bring it to the surface. Four ways, and I've got to list these out for you real quickly and just for you to contemplate them on. Daily in your life, here's what it means to live a confessional life. One is you agree with God about the course of your life. Is God smiling at your life or is he frowning? Is God pleased with the manner of your attitude, the manner of your living, the manner of your spending, the manner of your life? Is He pleased with it? Is He smiling at it? Jeremiah 44, verse 4, God said, Don't do these horrible things that I hate so much. Have we ever thought, Is God happy with what I'm doing, how I'm living? If we don't start with number one, confession means nothing. Okay, it means nothing. It starts with number one. Am I agreeing in my spirit the way God sees? Am I seeing things the way God sees things? Number two, come broken to this reality. Adam said, yes, I've sinned, and it's the woman that you gave me that caused me. Listen, that's not brokenness. Come broken. Come realizing that I was stupid. I messed up. I shouldn't have done this. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise, David said. A broken and contrite heart. Not proudly, humbly come to God. Number three, include include yourself in a godly accountability relationship. Come clean. Not only with God vertically, come clean horizontally with somebody else. Somebody you trust, you love, that you looks out for your best interest and not for their own gain. Somebody's a true friend in a relationship. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins one to another. Confess your sins one to another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together, says a man who confesses his sins in the presence of his brother knows he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in a reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has been brought into the light. Find a relationship. Have a relationship that you can really be honest and open with and say, you know what? I'm struggling here. Pray for me. I need wisdom. I need direction. There's too much emotion involved. There's too much history involved. There's too much life involved. I need help. I need healing. I need your help. Would you help me? So agree with God about your life. Come broken to Him. Include yourself in accountability relationship. And number four, leave resolved not to return. 
Psalm 32, verse 8, is whenever God, uh, David and God are in this conversation, and, and, and God says back, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. You know, the only way God's going to counsel you and you're going to see Him and you're going to hear Him is for you to be in a relationship with Him. Do you have that kind of relationship? Do you know Him? Are you walking with Him? We've been dealing with essentials, and we have one more message, but I want to give this to you this week. Take out your card. There was also this in your bulletin. And I've challenged you for the past 35 days. Well, in, in, we're in the midst of a 35-day challenge that you'll take 10 minutes, one one-hundredth of your day. You'll take it and you'll give it to God through silence, solitude, and Scripture. I want to take the challenge, and I want to take all these messages that I've done up to this point, and I want to, I want to put, the, put it on the table. And I want to say, listen, let's make a commitment for not 35 days. Let's make a 12-month commitment. Are you willing, are you able today to, in your heart of hearts to say, you know what, these essentials have been powerful in my life. I need to live them out all of my life. And I am willing today to commit to spending 10 minutes of silent solitude and Scripture daily. If that is you, put down where you'll spend it and when you're going to spend it. Set a time, set a date, put it on your calendar. Let nothing else interfere with it. The second challenge, where are you inhaling and exhaling God? Inhaling Him in worship, breathing Him in, and then breathing Him out in ministry. We have a challenge here at Grace Point. It's one of our core values. You serve one, you worship one. We're giving you that opportunity to inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, and exhale. It's not just inhaling, and it's not just exhaling. We do that through ministry. Where are you serving? Where are you worshiping? We have three services you can choose from now. Number three, simplify your life. Find a greater joy and generosity and service. What in your life right now is so crowding out in the margins of your life that you are unable to serve God? How extended are you financially that you are now unable to give to God? And that literally you're going to have to go into the simplification mode that I talked about last week. You're going to have to pull something out of your life so that you can make more room for God in your life. These are essentials. One statement I want you to take out of this message is keep a short list with God. Keep a short list with God. Keep a short list in confession with God. Is there anything on your list right now that you need to put on the table? You've been covering it. You need to uncover it. We're going to have a time of prayer. Those of you who are being baptized, if you'll meet me in the back, a time of worship and prayer. Actually, what I'm going to do is, Jared, I'm just going to let you come up here in a second right now. To, to lead us in worship. And if you are at this point of wanting to make a commitment like this, I want to challenge you to be bold in that commitment. You can sign your name if you want to. If you want us to pray for you by name, you can take this card, you can bring it, and you can just lay it at these steps. I'd like to see these steps completely full, but don't do it unless you mean it. You want to be not prayed for by name? You want to be prayed for in general? That's fine, whatever. If you're not there yet and you just want to sit there, that's fine. You can do that. But let this be a time of worship right now.